welcome to another edition of the Capiche Filmcast. Stephen Barry here for a new project, the Batman Film Project. Uh, we don't have a name for this one yet, so currently that's the name. Uh, we'll, I'm sure, have a name by the time this is uploaded, potentially, but we obviously don't know it at the moment. I'm joined by two Bat aficionados, Steve McCall. A very good evening to you all. And Gordon Webster. Good evening, Mr. Barry. Good evening, guys. Thanks for joining me. It's been quite a while, uh, six months almost, since our last podcast. So we're all fresh and ready to talk about a four-hour film serial that was released in 1943. That's right. We're talking about the first version of Batman in the cinemas. But before we go into that, we're going to talk about what we're doing this project in general this is our new film project similar to what we did with bond although probably not quite as exhaustive by the end with all the ranking episodes we might not go as far but um we are going to be watching uh, every main film that batman is in theatrically released i will add because if you were to check all of the animated films that weren't released theatrically we would never finish this project it would be uh, it would be so exhaustive to be off-putting uh, so this is all the main theatrical releases which does make at least one animated one because the uh, the 90s one was released first in the cinemas so we're obviously got a lot of batman stuff ahead of us we're going to be talking first about our experiences with this character how did we get into Batman? What do we know about the character? Are we compl- Have we even heard about Batman before today? Um, we're going to find out from our Batman aficionados. Obviously, we plan to have our two other members of the podcast at some point on the next few podcasts. That's uh, Scott Armour and Francis Murphy. But it's just the three of us to kick off the project today. So we'll come to you guys. Let's start with you, Steve. What is your experience with the Batman franchise? So once again, I am coming to this pretty much blind. I have very little, if any, experience with uh, Batman or the Batman films, similar to the way I was with the Bond films. I started off with nothing and watched them all through the podcasts. I I genuinely think the only Batman film I have seen is the Lego Batman film. (laughs) The actual uh, sort of theatrical, you know, real-life live action Batman films if you like I'm ra- I've racked my brains I don't think I've seen any of them wow. so I'm wow. really looking forward to this project it's something it's I don't know what it is it was just it was I suppose the, the superhero franchise isn't one that I've ever desperately kind of got into which is why for example I've only seen the Marvel films kind of sporadically mm-hmm. um, but I've at least seen some of them Batman I'm obviously aware of them. I was aware of them, you know, I mean, back in school, obviously, everyone had the Batman toys and it's the kind of thing everyone would talk about. And I've, I vaguely remember seeing Batman cartoons on a Saturday morning. I can't remember which of the kids' TV programs it was, but I swear there was an animated Batman yeah. cartoon on a Saturday animated, morning. I mean, animated series when he had the very square face, probably, I'd imagine that's the one from the 90s. That sounds about right, yes. Yeah. So I, I would probably have watched that well eating a bowl of cornflakes as about eight year olds <laughs> yeah, or whatever yeah. but no my experience with Batman is very very limited so okay. I'm actually quite looking forward to this so what do you know of the lore of Batman like do you know obviously you know a, Bruce Wayne but like do you, what... yeah so Bruce, Bruce Wayne the fact that he's uh, you know an orphan parents killed coming out of cinema or yeah. whatever. again most of my knowledge actually I think comes from the Batman film 
from the the Lego Batman film, I should say. That's amazing. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> um, which was quite good at kind of giving you the story. But yeah, the the, the story of Batman kind of there's a, a a chunk missing. So it's his origin story, if you like. Obviously, I know that he was you know orphan, parents killed, coming out of theater, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And then suddenly he's a rich guy who's also a superhero um because i'm also aware that the what we're the film we're about to talk at we're about to talk about has pretty much no yeah none of the content that we know of batman today his origin story and this is completely different his it, it's it's all as we're probably going to discuss completely separate yeah yeah um so i'm aware of him but i'm, I'm kind of aware of him as a a, a superheroes go he's the kind of the rich guy with lots of gadgets as opposed to having you know superpowers or anything like that it's not like you know you're superman or you're iron man or anything like that but i i'm I, there's a chance i could be wrong on that i'm not entirely sure and i'm no, quite looking pretty, forward to if i am being uh corrected no that's pretty much that's pretty much it um yeah it's uh it's interesting uh, that's sort of what you pick up through osmosis from other things referencing you know batman and things like that what you pick up but um yeah, it'll be interesting getting your take again it's that sort of you're always that sort of the fresh take uh usually with the bond ones first i'm talking about the bond ones i suppose with the uh we all kind of diff- had different experiences with bond but you were usually there's only a couple where you had really seen them so it was always good to get your yeah. perspective from that sort of a uh, fresh angle on it there was no nostalgia really with it so while you're on the topic actually steve i I don't know if you know of a link between this particular film coming up and the Bond franchise. Mm. And it, oh. it would concern the casting if you, we look at our lead's actor, Lewis Wilson. Mm-hmm. Oh, you're going to tell me he was he appeared in a oh, Bond is it, film? Is he, is he something to do with no, Michael, I, Mike, is he like Michael yeah. Wilson's like dad or something? Yeah, yeah, that's correct, Steve. Yeah, wow. He's, he is. That's the um, he, so he was married... Producer. He was married to Dana Broccoli, um, obviously Cubby's wife, who previously would have been Dana, someone else, and then, yeah. Interesting, there you go. There's I just always... found that out the other day, yeah. Yep. Always we'll, something. We'll come There's to... always a link, it's cool. it all comes together, it's nice I know, like that. I know, uh, We'll come to you, Gordon. Uh, what was your first kind of exposure to Batman, and how much, you know, have you grown up with the films, things like that? Well, it was all the always the cinematic Batman, not anything really from the original cartoons because of course it started out as a cartoon i believe in the late 1930s comics yeah it was comics really yes it started as comics uh the detective well yeah yeah comics Um, and then then it became i think possibly cartoon and then that this serial film and four years later yeah uh so I, I managed to watch all of the Batman films. I mean, I, I saw a good few of them when they came out. Like start, starting, when I say the Batman films, starting with the Michael Keaton era in the 1980s, um, which I, re- I recently um, pretty much finished all the films from that year up till now. I had the misfortune of watching eventually Batman and Robin recently. <laughs> um, I saw, it, it took me a few, the, the Christopher Nolan trilogy, The Latter, um, Batman trilogy. Well, I suppose prior to the new one with, with Pattinson and all that, um, I, it took me. I was catching up with it. Apart from Dark Knight, which I saw in the cinema, um, Batman Begins and the Dark Knight Rises was like a catch-up job a few years later. So um, yeah, I'm quite. And I've I've seen, to be honest, most of those films. I've seen a fair bit. I'm less familiar with the Nolan era. Actually, the first time I, I think I ever saw. I heard of anything Batman related and then Steve I told you about this um about a week ago I had an old VHS 
of uh, Ghostbusters 1 and 2, which I just watched death when I was an infant. And it was interesting because, so it was one single VHS, but sandwiched in between the two Ghostbusters films, there was one single black and white episode of Batman. I think it was from one of the TV series. I don't know. um, I don't think it was with Adam West, but I think there might have been... I don't know if there was another one, but it was definitely... Because I looked it up, it was from one of the original... It was just kind of weird. It's like, I don't know, if because when they made uh, videos, they had to, like, sort of use the full length of the tapes. It's like, oh, well, the Ghostbusters films are quite short. We'll just <laughs> sandwich a, a random Batman episode in. And there was, like, quite a few... They, they had, like, a lot of film trailers as well. But anyway, yeah... Um, not a lot really happened in that, but I, th- I guess what I've always enjoyed about Batman films is the mystery. The, the, I think a sort of film noir aspect I always mm-hmm. felt as well. Yeah. Um, the, and, and I guess as somebody, you know, obviously Bond's been one of my favourite franchises. Anything that has a sort of formula with a supervillain and uh, some kind of maniacal plan and, and there's a main hero or anti-hero to to stop it from happening that i suppose that i've always been attracted to those sort of films yeah but larger than life you know based on a kind of an idea that you know the spies obviously with bond you know there is that but taken to that kind of larger than life <laughs> style but batman is even bigger like weirder and stranger but there is parallels especially watching the one we're about to be talking about you know i could see where some of this could feel like a bond story yeah, I think, I mean, I'll get into when we, we talk about this film. There's one or two um, elements of it, you know, you'd think would have been quite important for just the the film industry going forward and just tropes with, you know, villains and, mm-hmm. you know, the, the hero or anti-hero and that sort of thing. Like, it's quite interesting. Yeah. Uh, for myself, I uh, guess the first real exposure was the 1989 film is similar to yourself maybe gordon the the keaton batman was the batman i grew up with i have this memory obviously i was too young to see that in the cinema i would only be free when that first came out but i had the videotape for it and it was there was a videotape that had my my parent my dad must have taped it so that it had that snowman film that what flying through the air oh i had that yeah so that must have been on it was a Christmas time and Batman that must have been on at Christmas and so dad had taped it but he'd also taped the snowman so the snowman came first and then it was that so I have snowman all... then Batman yeah so I've Batman always a... like those two go together for me like those that's such a weird like <laughs> I've just always that, that because I would sit and watch that felt that and then watch Batman and I'd play with my like Batmobile action figures as the scenes are happening and stuff like that I remember that um but yeah, what a weird thing! Like to have that as the thing before it, and uh, I love. I love the idea of falling asleep halfway through the snowman and waking up during yeah, Batman. I know. Yeah, I'll what is going on here? Yeah, I'll tell you what, mate. There, there was actually something kind of creepy about the the snowman. Something strange about that. I was. Oh no! I, well, yeah, I kind of I did have the two of them bent together, so it added a sort of more darker feel to to the snowman because I knew what was coming as well with Batman. It was obviously just a weird thing, but I, it's. I loved it, and I rewatched that tape constantly. I love it. It's probably that film is up there. In my, if I was to make a top ten, it's probably in my top ten. Um, pure nostalgia for me. 
it brings me back, all that kind of stuff. But we won't, we'll talk about it. Which one of the Batman films was that? By so the this way? is the first Keaton one. This is essentially the first time right. they've done on film Batman in a sort of darker. It was kind of the first real, like since the sixties version of Batman when it was comic, uh, comical. Uh, then yeah. they did the darker, serious kind of Tim Burton directed one, and that that was what essentially brought Batman to like the fore of the the mass audience again and it was huge and it obviously started that started the film franchise really and i i I loved it i never read the comics i've never once read a comic i was once given uh one of their kind of more i think it's a gra i think there's a a graphic novel so it's like those kind of much it was it was a stranger like really like abstract version of batman it was the arkham asylum story i think and it's like i just couldn't understand it i didn't know how to read like the like because it's there's barely any text it's just images and you've got to interpret a lot of it but it's all very like really dark and twisted and i was just i was like actually i'm struggling to understand what the story is here so it just doesn't didn't do it for me and that was my first entry level point into reading any kind of graphic novel or you know i've never really read comics so i'm i'll have to say i don't think any of the others when we have them on this podcast will not be the sort of like you know experts of batman who know all the different eras of the comic books the silver era the bronze era the gold era this is not that podcast for anyone who thinks they might be that we're more the films as they are as our experiences um so yeah i love the films i love the animated series and i actually have that on blu-ray and have even been watching that again over the last year i think it's one of the best comic book cartoons ever like it is phenomenal the storylines are amazing and great for adults not just it isn't just a kids thing in fact i would argue some of it maybe is a bit more uh darker for kids but anyways uh there's a lot of love there's there's points of batman's films that i do not love and we will definitely get to them but yeah i've mostly been the uh the the keaton era is my favorite the tim burton stuff and i've watched you know i don't know how what we'll get to when it gets to the dceu films because batman's in those films but he's obviously in some of them not a main character, so I don't think we'll be covering them. So we'll see how that goes when we get to them. But yeah, that's my uh, my kind of top level experience of Batman. I am familiar from playing the games. I'm much more familiar of the general lore of some of the comic books. You know, all the different Robins and stuff like that, and like things that have happened. Major comic book arcs. I kind of know the general sort of thing because I've watched some of the animated films. So I'm relatively experienced with a lot of batman stuff but i'm definitely no expert but yeah i love the character he's probably my favorite comic book character by by far never really been invested in many others so that's really our experiences with the franchise so different levels again as as we did with bond we're all coming at it from different um, nostalgia points or no nostalgia and that thing so it'll be interesting to see how this goes throughout the, the series of films now we're uh going to be talking as we mentioned before we are going back to 1943 this is a interesting thing you know these this was a time when some films were released uh, i don't know if they call it matinees the word i think is like that kind of serial sort of 25 minutes episode people go to cinema and maybe i think they possibly see a few of these of different things and so batman was one of them and there was like 15 episodes of these and then on youtube at least we've been doing it you can watch the entire four hour thing and that's what we've done for this one so it is the first time batman was released in the cinema so it is a theatrical release it does count and it is important to see where the ideas of what how do you get this comic book character into a film what does that look like that's what this film is 
And, well, I guess let's just go into our top-level summary of our experience watching a film from 1943, which, by the way, I'll say I have watched the colorized version. Uh, I tried watching the first episode in black and white, and I, I did watch it, the full episode, the first 25 minutes, but I just felt it was... I knew there was a colorized version, and it just made it so much more enjoyable to watch that. So it's not the true experience of that time, but again, you're watching it on YouTube anyway. It's not the true experience. But... Uh, Steve, what was your take on this film? So yeah, I went for the the full on black and white original experience. I thought if I'm going to do this, I'm yeah, going to do this properly. I'm going to sit down and power through it, <laughs> and I would not recommend it. <laughs> yeah. It was, I mean, it, it was a slog. It was. I, I had to do it in three goes, I think, okay. to kind of watch because I was watching it, and there was definitely a point where I was thinking, I must. This must be about an hour and a half or so through. So I checked it, and I'd been watching about forty five minutes. Oh my god! I know. But like you said, I mean, it was it was it was difficult to get through, and the fact that it was originally shown in twenty five minute chunks actually makes a lot more sense. But it was definitely interesting to watch. It was interesting to see. There's there's a number of points I think that were interesting about it. The fact that it was 1943. They'd only really just started putting films, you know, or putting films, you know putting things on a big screen. Um, and I suspect that what they'd been doing previously were things like radio plays, which I think were a big thing in the, the early days of broadcasting, maybe, you know, 20s, 30s, 40s. So what this felt to me like was kind of a radio play that was put on the screen. Because um, there, was, there was a lot of talking, there was a lot of explaining. Um, they, they obviously hadn't quite grasped the concept of show, don't tell. <laughs> because they, they explained everything and you were walked through every step of every scene in great detail whereas today you know an editor a director would cut that down to a sequence of a few minutes or whatever which is probably what kind of made it feel because there are there are films around today that are three three and a half hours and they do really well but the it felt like this was three and a half hours it was tricky yeah. to watch, but like I say, the um, there were there were things they did there were things they did well, which we're gonna come to. There were things they definitely didn't do well at all. Yeah. Um, and the the other interesting point is to note is that obviously 1943, this was kind of in the middle of World War Two. Yep. Um, there were a, a lot of obviously this was America versus Japan. Pearl Harbor had just happened, I think, mm -hmm. or had recently happened, which is obviously reflected in the tone of this film are very much, you know, America versus Japan. Um, that element is, as we're going to discuss, very much of its time. But that was fascinating to see because it's that's seeing firsthand the kind of propaganda that American audiences were being fed yeah. back then. A lot of There were a lot of racist tropes and stereotypes about the Japanese and a lot of hatred towards the Japanese and watching that um, seep into popular culture and what the, you know, the people our age, you know, maybe 20s, 30s year olds were going out with their mates to see this is what they were doing. So from that aspect, it was a fascinating watch. So the the propaganda element and the fact that this was, they were obviously starting out in film, not quite knowing what they were doing and just trying stuff and seeing what fitted. Some of it did, a lot of it didn't work. But watching it come back to the kind of genesis of film was fascinating. Yeah, absolutely agree there. Gordon, what about yourself? Oh, it was tough. <laughs> it was tough. Uh, again, you know, you're trying trying to do it um, all as much as you can in one go and it's just like a three hour 48 minute film you know that I, I would say though like i mean as much as there is some hilarious things that happen it, as much as you could laugh at the 
silly elements and you know ridicule you do have to give this kind of film credit for it was the, probably the genesis for a lot of things that I, I mentioned earlier, like, you know, the, the genesis of the, the super villain in cinema and mm-hmm. stuff like that. You know, there's certain things that it did quite well. Um, I think as well, because like Steve, I, I did watch it in black and white, because again, I wanted the, the experience like people would All right, have got. All right, I cheated cinema. then, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I like cause I, yeah because I just I, I think I tried you know Steve I tried the kind of partially coloured version of it that you looked at and um, it actually cut out bits of the film oh <laughs> it's like the very beginning yeah it was just like because there was like a commentary over the first few shots I don't know if you would have seen this but maybe you started with the black and white version but I watched the colourised version that wasn't there and that just things were like randomly put together it just seemed weird um, yeah, so yeah. that's kind of why but so that's the thing I suppose if you're watching a black and white film, um, you're watching a film from the 1940s during wartime. Um, I would add, um, it's yeah, the, there's such a limit. You got to, it's going to be hard to actually rate this film because it's so different to anything we've ever watched. There's uh-huh. limitations in technology. Um, you, you've got to give it credit for like there is some things that appear as very hard because we watched it through YouTube and not in certainly not HD and not even like anything close to HD, like very kind of blocky and stuff. So it's hard to make certain things out. But, you know, it looked to me like there was some like practical stunt work and stuff involved, which was decently, I don't know, I thought the driving sequences like certain, not like car interiors, but cars on, on the racing on the road, like seemed like were done for real. So that, you got to give it credit for that. Um, and just like, yeah, I do, I do. I would. I would credit. I will get in obviously to um, Lewis Wilson's Batman. I, I do think there was a certain element of charisma he had. I think le- leading probably in that era, you know, quite a solid leading actor. I would say you may you may have different different um, opinions. That that's all I would say. Like solid. Um, yeah, difficult to watch. A bit of a slog. Um, definitely interesting. Absolutely. Yeah, I echo both sentiments with this. A slog, certainly it was watched in parts. I had could not do it all in one. And I think even my attention wavered in the latter half a fair bit where I was like doing other things, checking my phone and realised, oh, I should probably rewind that or something. Sometimes I didn't. So key plot points might have been missed by me, but I didn't feel it was necessity really to rewind it or whatever. It was okay. Um, it was a weird historical... That's the only reason I would ever suggest anyone watch this film is purely for historical purposes for anyone who's got any kind of interest in what it was like to see the birth of a major character like this and how it was first done on screen. Because otherwise, there's nothing really to really recommend in that sense. It's so dated and in every way, really, that... Um, there's not much there's other things you could do and spend your time with us i guess but um yeah there was points i like there was a charm to the fact that it is this period well it wasn't a period film it was made in its time but for us and it's an experience of watching something set i mean i've barely watched any films set or made during wartime i haven't really watched a lot of the classics that came out around then and so yeah it was just a different experience watching something so old i mean I mean, I think about it, even, I think, 50s films, I haven't watched a lot of. It's really the 60s is where, you know, the 60s stuff is probably my main kind of 
entry to film at this point color was fully there things like that so yeah it was uh and and coming from the batman perspective of a fan of the batman lore and character i mean it's hard to take that costume seriously so this is obviously the very first batman costume from the comics they they went with the that, that design i think it looks horrendous um but and they don't even play it for laughs the way the 60s do which is designed to be comedy with the silly outfits and the silly it's kind of just it's just you know a film with a character who's a bit quirky like it's kind of played seriously with this guy and who looks like he's wearing pajamas and tights and things like that yeah so that was weird and it is weird seeing a, a bruce wayne with a boston accent not really it was hard to get just because i'm used to what became the version of bruce wayne and from all the different things i've watched it, it was weird to see him with that kind of accent uh it, it didn't really fit for me but that's maybe just because i'm watching stuff again you have to try and look at it from the point of view of the first version and that they weren't used to what 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 is bruce wayne like and obviously gotham is an analog of new york but this film actually was kind of more set a kind of la looking area in fact i was reading up on it there was a, a continuity issues one of them being that there was like a newspaper that just said like or something or, or early the, the letter that batman picks up is addressed to a, an early address when it's meant to be gotham <laughs> which is funny like thinking about how they did this with the continuity stuff because obviously it's in episodes i wonder i don't actually know how much they film together or they film it separately like all these kind of little episodes like almost like a tv show so you end up getting some continuity issues but um yeah it was okay and again the war stuff will come into that but uh you know it was weird seeing something so blatantly racist and you know ignorant to the japanese propaganda you know is not what it wasn't very subtle so yeah it was it was an interesting take but not something i would really want to spend my time re-watching <laughs> but anyways let's dig a little deeper let's talk about the actual lewis wilson then a bit more on him as batman this is our first batman ever to appear on screen Gordon, you obviously seem to take to how you mentioned his charisma. Uh, you, yeah, I mean, yeah, it would be interesting to line this film up alongside others from the 1940s even and, you know, and to see what some of the other leading actors were like. I mean, I would guess for the time, maybe a lot of the public might have bought into him. Um, he actually looked older than he really is. I think Lewis Wilson was maybe about 23 when it was made. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, I thought he was older than that. <laughs> I think, I mean, I think he had, um, you know, there was elements of the slick hero you would get in some of these 1950s or 60s westerns, and then you get the spy films, and then you get other genres of action films, things like the sort of, you know, the, the cop and stuff like that. So, um, you know, maybe because you even saw that there was um, he liked a wee one liner every now and then as well. Mm. Some of them I, I thought were probably like quite <laughs> mildly amusing, like <laughs> not not like pretty. Some actually some of the one liners I thought were all right. I remember like he was. I liked the way he would like kind of treat the villains as like goods or like as rubbish. He would just like I remember he described he would like um, when he would uh, t basically apprehend a villain. He would leave them tied up and he he keeps saying the same thing over to the police again. I've got a delivery for you. But the end, he's like, I've got a wholesale delivery coming up. <laughs> he's like, this is after he's been to the main villains um, hideaway finally, yeah. and he's like. Um, and he's like, and like, for example, I remember Alf Alfred's quite involved. He's like, um, oh, he's like, oh, Master Bruce, sorry, I almost killed you. He's like, um, well, you made a pretty good effort or something. Like, um, it's like small things, like, like there's some funny. I, I just thought, like, I, 
you got to remember this isn't everyday life. This is a this is a um, superhero you're watching of sorts. Um, you know he'll say things and do things and be involved in situations your average person in the streets not going to be able to do, and they they can be in like like we we've covered a lot of the action films we've covered James Bond etc. Like near death situations, just laughs it off and that, and, and like in the end he's like um, there's a whole thing as well like about the. You know Bruce Wayne being a completely separate person to Batman, and he, at the end he's like, "The Batman always gets there ahead of me." You know that there, there was some good lines at times. Yeah. I thought, um, yeah. I thought he was all right to be honest. Mm-hmm. Steve, yeah, it was interesting because again, I I don't know um, how this or if it tallies up at all with the more sort of well-known Batman lore, but the fact that he was. In this, anyway, he was a spy. He was an undercover spy, you know, working for Washington. He said at the start, where, you know, him and Robin are on a special mission from Uncle Sam, and they'd get these sort of secret telegrams from the government that they're obviously working undercover for them. I don't know, does that, I mean, does that totally, match up? Yeah, with, I was, I was going to bring that up. That completely made up. They changed that. I was reading about that because they, at the time, the government, uh, was, it, was it the studio didn't want to portray, because Batman is essentially a vigilante. So he's taking the law yes. into his own hands. Yeah. He's doing things on his own. And at that time, the type of America they were, or whatever, they didn't want to portray that what is meant to be their hero doing that. And so they switched it to he's working for the government. Uh, he's an a spy or he's an agent for the government, and he's obviously taking on the the Axis <laughs> spy essentially. Uh, you know that's essentially yeah, what it, is. it makes sense. Particularly, yeah. I suppose with it with it being wartime as well, I can see also why there be sensitivities around that and why they they may have made that mm-hmm. kind of editorial decision. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But, um, yeah, it was it was definitely fun to watch. It was it was interesting watching the. The switch between the constant switch between Batman and Bruce Wayne, and the the way that I mean, like like you said, Steve, the costume was terrible, but still nobody recognised him despite not putting on any kind of voice or anything like that. <laughs> yeah. Nobody could tell that Batman was Bruce Wayne, yeah. even not even Linda Page who experienced them both. And then yeah. a third point where he was he was randomly a guy called Chuck. His costume abilities, his undercover abilities. I mean, you can see why he was chosen as a spy because his undercover abilities were clearly that good. Yeah. Yeah. yeah was absolutely. that like you just had a it seemed to me like you just did a fake nose or something and everyone <laughs> everyone and I, everyone just saw he had a different nose and thought oh, totally different person doesn't i wouldn't that, even think that that's that was there yeah exactly slicked his hair back and lit a cigarette and it was like oh well yeah, yeah it's, uh, that's that's chuck yeah yeah i know i did love that it was interesting seeing that like so batman in the lore is obviously meant to be i mean among many things he's the world's you know, he's a martial arts expert, all these kind of things. He's a, he's also the world's greatest detective. So parts of that, okay, I guess undercover stuff is maybe not the same, but it was, you know, good to see him doing kind of espionage type stuff. A little yeah. bit of that side of the character came through, you know. Was that really obvious though? Like I, I just found, um, I only really knew from looking up in Wikipedia afterwards that he was working for the government. I don't know if it's one of these things because it's one of these films you tune out of quite a bit. You lose yourself a bit, but I... It, it wasn't that, obvious. That, that I wasn't also... immediately apparent. No. No, right. it was one throwaway line, I think, at the very start, where he turns to Robin and says, I think they got a telegram from Washington or something like that. And he kind of goes, yeah, we're on our, obviously we're on our special mission from Uncle Sam. And then it, they just kind of went with yeah. it. And you kind of go, oh, right, right, that's what... So that's what they're doing in this one then. Yeah. And I wonder, we'll know maybe by the second one, if they switch him to a vigilante or when the sort of culture in America were able to accept the actual Batman storyline. But yeah, yeah. It was, it was, it I was, have a feeling they were fighting at that time with 
actual America, I think we're fighting with our we're going through, you know, the, yeah, the gangsters and prohibition and stuff uh-huh. like that. So yeah. I can see why, particularly around the forties, they may not want to be promoting vigilantism. So yeah, I'm I'm intrigued as well to see what they do in 1949. But I think you're right; they may stick with the spy stuff for the time being. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, definitely interested seeing that version of the character. Uh, talking about the other supporting cast, we've obviously got a Robin in there. Our first Robin was that Douglas Croft. I, again, I, I, these are actors I don't I've never heard of. I must you know I've not seen a lot of stuff from this era. Um, what did we think of Douglas Croft's Robin Gordon? I think he was a he was a very young actor. I think he was actually sixteen, which is incredible. But yeah, um, I just think of him as Jack Grealish, the Man City player, because that's who he looks like. To me, <laughs> but, like oh my god, you're <laughs> right. I just couldn't help. Uh, but uh, I don't really know what to think of him, to be honest. Um, he was just like the sidekick, like, um, and I guess yeah, give it credit, like, um, for. You know, future Hollywood stuff. You've got the main sort of hero and their sidekick, which so there, there's maybe a, again like this film was pioneering in that way. But I don't know. I mean, I mean, it's hard to really think of much else apart from I, I suppose you you know like the, the there's a lot of fist fights and um, no, that's pretty I much mean, it. <laughs> I, I just don't I don't really know what the costumes were daft. Um, I'm not really sure. What else to say about Robin? Because he just like is there as sort of backup Batman sort of thing. Yeah. And then when you think about it, Batman is like the relationship between Batman and Robin and the police is, is is very different to how it would be in later films. It's kind of like there's the police and he's like a sort of it's like a company using an outsource or a company using like a contractor. It's like he's a private contract for the police. <laughs> and he's yeah. like and then I know it's I don't I'm not sure really what I I mean in yeah. general I think there was some quite bad acting in this film and you know the two of them are as guilty of as as most of the cast but yeah i'm not sure really what what steve i'll leave it to steve yeah Yeah, i'm kind of with you on the shoddy acting definitely i wonder again to what extent um going back to this idea that perhaps it was more sort of radio play that had been Mm -hmm. put on screen how much because their their voices sounded you know their speech the way they they spoke sounded right but their actual movements seemed a, a little wooden so i'm not sure to what extent these were maybe radio actors that were brought in and put in front of a camera yeah and if that may be impacted on them in terms of the robin character i think my main the one sort of query i was left with i still couldn't quite work out the actual relationship between bruce wayne and dick grayson the two yeah when they weren't being batman and robin there was there was one point where um batman was introducing robin or I should say Bruce Wayne was introducing Dick to Coulson. I think his name was one of the guy with the beard who owned the mine. And he said, and I think it was just the quality of the video I was watching. I repeated it. I've rewound it back, watched it about three or four times, turned the volume up. And he says, this is my, Ward. and then something meaning with W. Ward, yeah. Ward, was, yeah. was that it? Yeah. So I think that's usually how he was described, possibly throughout all the kind of the different versions of batman his ward yeah like i mean did they, i don't think they went into dick grayson's backstory at all in this um, by that do they mean a kind of almost adopted son yeah that's kind or... of well that is kind of what robin essentially is to or it depends if it's son or brother and depends what age of, of version of robin they do but yeah the usual thing is that obviously robin has a backstory in the comics i don't know if at this point it was created i can't remember 
from my research. Yeah, um, there was I, there was definitely very yeah. little in the way of backstory because you, you couldn't really tell. Again, Linda Page makes reference at the start to what to Batman being this kind of playboy figure who you know gets up at lunchtime and then goes down the club and plays gin rummy for the afternoon. Um, but there's no again you can't really tell what robin slash dick grayson is or does yeah. there was one point where bruce wayne turns to him and says you better go to bed now which again i was going what is what's the relationship meant to be here is it father son is it um, I love that. I could, after he's taken him out to like like out. fight for his life against about 20 goons he's like now you better go to bed son <laughs> yeah and it's like was he not um was it the car sorry i keep saying cartoon the comic book or was he not known as like the boy wonder yeah robin he was um, it's like, the boy wonder yeah so i don't know if it's if he is kind of meant to be the sort of like I said, I think I think Douglas Croft looked older, but apparently he was sixteen. But it's like 16, if he's sixteen, what's he doing working for the government as a secret agent? It's, <laughs> none of this makes sense. Uh, I know, I know, it's nonsense, nonsense. Yeah, there uh, yeah. was a, a great deal of don't ask, just watch, mm-hmm. um, yeah. which as, as I suppose kids at the time probably needed escapism. So there was probably scope to just do a film where nothing really makes sense. There's just some fun action happening on the screen. Yeah, yeah. I suppose as well. I thought what you were going to say there, Steve, is like having a kind of younger hero. I don't know. Is it because uh, what they would do is when you got all these kind of famous young actors like Macaulay Culkin, they starred in like children's films. It's like that was to appeal to yeah, like, that's, that's... younger audiences. But I don't think this film would have been. They would even think about like, a young. Well, the... Did kids go to this cinema even? Like, so I don't know about this film particularly. I'd imagine there. I don't know what ratings they had for this kind of stuff in terms of age limits and all that but the actual character of robin as far as i'm aware the he was created essentially so that for two kind of reasons someone for batman to speak to for exposition so that he could you know in the in the, in the comics so it made sense when batman's doing investigative work That's, but also it was for kids to feel part of the story and they're like in that they're, they're kind of that represents them robin is them they get to go along with batman on his adventures or that kind of thing so it usually does like batman at first was more of a solitary figure but then it brings in a kind of more younger audience appeal uh with robin and obviously a lot of older fans probably don't like that version of what it does to batman it kind of takes away from some of the mature stuff of batman that that's again taking out the later versions of batman like i don't know what if that applies to the 40s stuff but that's my thinking of where why robin exists there yeah he's okay um it was interesting just watching him because i could see what they do is it burt ward i think is the actor that plays him in the 60s but it was obviously i could see the the type of character he what he, he sort of plays a very similar role in, in that essentially just there to for batman to explain things and help him out and save his life a lot <laughs> yeah i suppose as well um if you going back to the costumes again, it would still have been ahead of its time. And at the end of the day, they were putting a popular comic, couple of popular comic book characters on the cinema screen, which is a pretty big thing. Um, but it's like they're they suddenly become the our persona just simply by changing clothes and the like. If you think about, for example, the Tim Burton Batman films onwards, it was always like if say there was some kind of emergency situation, he would sort of like almost rise from the shadows batman and then i suppose when robin was involved it's the same they, they'll emerge from their lair as it were but and this was sort of a case of right let's 
change our clothes and then that's it'll take two minutes and then we're, we're out in the back of the car because there was one bit for example I think it was Batman was like okay Robin let's go to the car and change our clothes and they're all <laughs> in the car and out in 20 seconds flat just with the clothes and then it's I'm not really criticizing I just think it's like an interesting take on it uh-huh. I know I love it there's a charm to how silly that is uh, knowing where Batman goes the the, the 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 more serious darker versions of Batman and then seeing this take you know that kind of like silly thing with her but let's change her clothes but um yeah other characters then we'll try and kind of talk a bit more about them uh linda page is the kind of the the sort of i guess it's the love interest type of character she plays this is shirley patterson again i don't really know her what would you you guys steve what's your thoughts on linda page again when we talk about female characters a lot of the time i think we talk about the way they're written and i suspect that she kind of suffers from that a little bit because she's she's the classic kind of damsel in distress a lot of the time comes across not very i mean she's obviously got quite a sort of not high powered job but she's the assistant or receptionist to a doctor which seems like a sort of quite advanced yeah quite respected sort of position yeah. yeah so she's not she's clearly not an unintelligent person but she doesn't come across particularly well you know the scenes where batman's in a some sort of disguise and she doesn't recognize him and <laughs> the way she talks about her she's sort of talking about her uncle and stuff like that she doesn't again she's designed to be the almost helpless female character that needs help from all the men around her mm. so it's again it will be i imagine suffering from the the quality of writing that she's she's given but otherwise she was relatively inoffensive didn't have anything particularly um sort of bad i suppose to say yeah yeah about her um she kind of felt a bit i'd hate to say it almost just not very memorable like there wasn't really anything really there wasn't a lot given to her to do and she was always the kind of like as I guess there was a comic relief element to where, you know, Batman stands her up, or, or sorry, Bruce Wayne kind of stands her up, and then she's like, why didn't you show, or whatever, and just showing up, like, the fact that she's, and he's got to play up, like, oh, I had this thing to do, and all these things, and it's like, you know what actually has been happening, and she's just, you know, completely ignorant to it all. Um, it's almost like they've realized that this guy's, uh, he's meant to be a superhero, he's the the man about town he needs a love interest we need to give him someone right let's give him this linda page character and then didn't do anything with her yeah but she obviously she had to be there for social for batman's social or bruce wayne's social standing if you like within the film Mm -hmm. yeah absolutely gordon yeah she she had quite a lot of screen time actually linda page and yeah i pretty much agree with what you guys have been saying relatively inoffensive she um pretty much was the damsel in distress and i think again that became such a trope and in Hollywood and over here for years to come. Like I wonder if it, you know, films like this had a um, effect like that. Yeah, um, and it's interesting. The I think you know, it's hard to remember. I think it was about this, for example, with Kim Basinger and uh, with Michael Keaton's Batman in the nineteen eighty nine film. But it's like there's the whole thing about her not knowing that Batman is the same character. I would have liked more if there was some. And I'm not really criticizing the characters again. It's just the writing. Like if there was like more kind of breadcrumbs she was picking up as to. Maybe this could, maybe he could mm. be this Dark Knight character mm. that's uh, going and doing all this stuff. And like, but there didn't really seem to be any of that. She seemed totally oblivious to yeah. the fact that this was the same character, no matter whatever, a voice, anything. But until like near the, the end, I think she started thinking, um, something's not right here. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. We'll quickly go on to Alfred. This 
version was played by William Austin. You know, I feel, I got to say, I found him quite irritating, I must say. I don't know about you guys. Um, but actually, reading up on it, it seems Alfred in the comics at this point had been a kind of portly um, kind of character. And this version is actually, once Alf, uh, William Austin played him they then not retconned but just redesigned alfred to be almost like that ever ever since alfred is well and tall and slim the thin mustache that kind of english accent all that kind of stuff so you know it, it came from actually william austin's portrayal i just found him i didn't find his comedy funny at all i found it frustrating actually what about you gordon what do you think of it austin's portrayal version of that yeah pretty irritating and pretty incompetent as well i yeah. got to say it's very involved in the film very hands-on actually um but yeah you've got to give the writers credit for how they because that's a great concept the fact this kind of old older butler type character i guess a guardian of bruce May, they didn't really play up to that so much i think he was seen more in the modern day films as a guardian Mm-hmm. to a young Bruce Wayne especially with when you look at the likes of Michael Caine playing him but the gen you got you look at the genesis there you look at these film franchises in the very first film and there was a genesis there of what became a really good character and a really good relationship there was I would say there was like decent chemistry between him and Douglas Croft and Lewis Wilson as in their their characters yeah what about you Steve yeah I can see how he was probably funny to American 1943 Mm-hmm. audiences you know they're sort of relatively stupid british sort of character it was obviously it was played daft and you're right it, it wasn't particularly funny particularly now there were moments that were just sort of weird like that point where he's sitting in the living room reading a novel out loud to himself <laughs> and then bruce and dick creep up on him and frighten him with that ray gun thing yeah I, I, I was watching that going why that that doesn't make yeah, and he's he's been told to do that purely for film, but that wouldn't happen naturally. Mm-hmm. So he was he was played for laughs. He was played as a bit of an idiot. But on the other hand, as you guys have pointed out, he was incredibly useful in this film. He didn't just he wasn't just the butler. He wasn't just driving them around. He was getting involved. He was undercover as at one point he went undercover as Coulson, I think. Yeah. Uh, when they you know they needed someone to attack him or whatever, he was acting as um, a sort of distraction so that towards the end of the film, so that Batman and Robin could get into the final sort of villains layer. So he he was a useful character. He did stuff. He just also happened to be sort of played as a that sort of classic British twit. Yeah. Which again, I can see why they did it for those audiences. They'll have found it absolutely hilarious, and it it kind of appeals to them. Uh, but yeah. A little bit annoying. Yeah, yeah, I agree, I agree. Let's talk about the main villain. Let's talk about Mr. Daka? Mr. Prince Dr. Daka. He was Dr. Daka, yeah. Tito Daka, Prince Daka, played by J. Carol Nash, again, uh, not familiar with his work. I want to quickly check where he's from, actually, because... I don't think he's Japanese. (laughs) I did look this up here. He's very much... Not Japanese. He is. He's of Irish descent. Right. Yes, you know, parents were Irish immigrants who came to New York, which is about as far from Japan as you can get. Yeah. So, but according to IMDb, he was known for playing Latin American, Arab, and okay. um, Asian characters, which um, a, a sign of the times, I suppose. Yeah, like that. I mean, let's face it. That times are very different now. People are, you know, trying to 
you know, to get better representation on film, you're, you're given roles that were designed, written for characters of a certain type, whether location or, you know, whatever, to people a bit more close to that ethnicity. So that's a bit more sensitive to what's happening now. This was a completely different time. This was a time where, you know, and also we're talking about a film during wartime portraying a character set up to be against eventually is the enemy of of the of the war so you know it's uh yeah interesting to watch this what was your take on him steve uh yeah wow i mean i suppose the first things first let's get out of the way the accent was appalling it wasn't even anywhere near approaching yeah what would be considered a japanese accent it was a sort of generic accent um interesting i watched a couple of sort of videos and stuff about this film and apparently if you look at the early sort of movie posters that was released before this film hit the screen it was meant to be the joker but a decision was kind of made last minute considering the war and the circumstances to make it a japanese villain mm. oh, okay. so it would, have been, it would have been i suppose more interesting if it had been you yeah. know, the, the first portrayal of the joker than the character we are talking about um and it, he was just he was he wasn't a very good you know his is obviously his big thing was he would take people use this machine very low red machine to turn them into zombies <laughs> and control them very monotonously yeah. but his he, the, the script his dialogue was terrible um he wasn't i mean he's not meant to be likable he was yeah. definitely a sort of horrible human being but he was he was played as a, a really terrible stereotype and you know all the all the various stereotypes were in there like his eyes are essentially like like tape back or something right I'm, I'm, yeah 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 the, the makeup was pretty terrible it was like you know it was quite feminine makeup but it wasn't it was there was nothing they were they had a poor understanding really of just like i suppose what people from that part of the world looked like and sounded like mm-hmm. i think all they had to go on with because there were a lot of caricatures of Japanese people around at that time because of all the war propaganda and the scaremongering. And that's kind of, it's almost like they tried to base a person on what they'd seen caricatures painted of Japanese people were. And I think just all rounds, it was it was pretty terrible yeah. as a character. It was, a lot of his stuff was very repetitive. All of his scenes were mostly people coming to, to him to say, oh, I, I failed the mission, but I killed Batman. <laughs> yeah. Excellent. Yeah. He always thought he killed Batman. Yeah, like so he would take some, He would just take someone's word for it. Like, oh, we, we saw the building collapse. Batman's dead, definitely yeah. dead. Or the, definitely the mine the the exploded. I, they won't get out of that. It's like they wouldn't think to go and check. I oh, know. I love it. Yep. He um he is actually hearing that actually, Steve, that they could have the Joker uh, you'd be in, it'd been interesting if they did that. I suspect maybe that's what they'll do in, in the next one in the forties. Uh, we don't know, so I've not looked into that one yet. We'll find out. But yeah, for the first time film version we get a character that I've that's obviously never I don't think I don't know if this character's ever came back in any of the lore. I've not seen any cartoons with this that I suspect they appeared in the comics in the eighties. Right. They reprised yeah. him as a villain. Because mm. there was no real distinctive feature about why he was so great and why he was um so memorable. It's just the the one thing he had was just the fact he was Japanese and that was all obviously because it was made in the war and there was all this, you know, anti Japanese stuff. But it's like what did he what 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 was his thing apart from being Japanese? Yeah. Just evil. He had a a ray gun that looked like a toy uh, that could fire at people and turn them into what was it was it sand essentially or something like that? 
I think I uh, <laughs> lost interest there. Yeah, it is. Yeah, he was obviously kind of a mad. Was it like almost like a mad scientist meets? Uh, you know, he was a spy for the for the Japanese as well. And obviously, the dialogue whenever ever they reference him, in, and even the the narrator, like "Will Batman survive?" Like at the beginning of each episode, yeah. like it had like that kind of kept saying these kind of really like you know derogatory, racist kind of v- versions of referring to him. Yeah, uh, there was a lot of J words, particularly yeah. towards the end. Yeah. Um, yeah. It got yeah. It got pro- more progressively worse as the film went on. Yeah. Just it's one of those things where we knew going in the, the how dated this was going to be, and it's exactly as we thought, isn't it? Like it wasn't a surprise as a film made in 1943 with a Japanese villain at a time when America were against the Japanese. So there's there's there isn't a shock, but still at the same time, it it doesn't stand the test of time at all. It just isn't really yeah. great. He was very one note, I thought, as a villain. And like Steve mentioned, just so repetitive. Just the same dialogue, same um, situations all over again. I even think the thing when he was putting people through that brain machine or whatever you want to call it, it was like they kept reusing the same shot of him, like, smiling gleefully. Mm-hmm. Like, do you know what, like, holding the equipment. Uh, but, I mean, I, I would say as well, though, as I touched on earlier, as a maniacal villain you know he he was probably the genesis in a lot of the the good villains that were to follow in in later films especially the whole villain's lair is quite interesting i love how it was kind of like almost like again there's a bit of repetition just the same room but i kind of like the lair certain elements to and certainly the the approach to the lair but um like it was kind of like his living room but he is like a crocodile pool in his living room essentially (laughs) i suppose that as well like i suppose that gives possibly could have influenced things like you know the villain with the piranha pool and such mm. like uh-huh. but it was just cool it's just funny this big ornate room like rather than it being like a in some dark cave or something like the crocodiles were actually in the big room where they ate and everything like that it was just <laughs> yeah. do you know what i mean the floor just opened up a wee hatch and there's this big pit and crocodiles in it that's that's where it felt very bonding doesn't it that sort of it was the parallels were there for you suppose, can yeah. you, you can imagine I was gonna say I like to think that is where the sort of genesis of the Bond layer came from. Because it did have all the elements, the secret rooms, the sliding doors, the sea life mm-hmm. underneath with villains being fed to it. I like yeah. to think that's where the, the idea came from. Like it's interesting to think some of the main players that made the Bonds, you know, at this point, um, you know, Fleming was what an operative in the war at this point. So he's obviously still working uh, at this point. So he's got some of his ideas. Eventually, will become the, the novel shortly after this. And then you've got even people like Ken Adam, who was actually in on the German side, and I think defected. Am I right in saying that, Gordon? I, I don't think he defected during the war. I think I think he was born in Germany, and as a a child, he then his family moved to Britain and he grew up and joined the British yeah. Air Force. But um, but, but yeah, that is like when you look at that. Those guys were involved in the war of that, or even Christopher Lee, for example. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So then, uh, uh, like spy, like is involved in spy work. Ah, uh-huh. and then you know people like Ken Adams, as I mentioned, will eventually maybe have seen this. Who knows? And these that could would you know be the progenitor of some of the ideas that he will then go on to make. 
designing the villains layers like I, I like to imagine that is kind of where some of this stuff has came from maybe the yeah so i like how one you mentioned like the sliding doors for example like that's not something i thought of at the time but i like the entrance to the the layer in a wheel i like how it's hid- it was like hidden in some it was like a theme park ride it was kind of creepy and it kept focusing in on it was like a sort they were meant to be and this is a thing that actually came up in a layer in a bond film later down the line like there are meant to be like mannequins of people in various poses, like kind of warriors and that. And one of them was clearly actually alive. And it kept focusing on this one guy. I thought that there was something really creepy about that. Yeah. I just kept like hitting me. But then, then of course, there was a reason for it because later on, the guy gets involved and ends up fighting Batman and Robin. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The, the, it was kind of Jap- cool. Japanese House of Horrors <laughs> is what it was based in which again there's the the whole oh, right. thing has a kind of jokery theme to it but it's almost like they, they took what was maybe going to be that idea and then turned it into some war propaganda so yeah. it looks like a ride that you sat in and you went round and it showed you how horrible the japanese people were and then <laughs> I, never, off again. Like, that, I never actually people, realized people that people paid well. to go on this yeah. this ride it was it was insane I, I, I don't know if that kind of thing actually existed but uh, yeah i did notice a, that sign you said about it being like the japanese house of horrors mm-hmm. yeah all right we'll uh talk about a few more things before we get to the rating but uh you what's obviously the music how do you feel how did you notice the music what was uh what was your take on that steve i think it was interesting where they, they've obviously got the the idea of motifs for characters because there were definitely points where batman turned up at a scene at a particular i don't know how memorable it was because i can't really i couldn't recall it if i heard it again but there was definitely particular sort of sounds that played when batman appeared or just before mm-hmm. a fight scene mm-hmm. and again that's i think they were kind of toying with the idea of motifs and sort of tunes or songs for for particular characters in the same way that you'd get in for example the bond films particular characters would be associated with particular music so it was interesting to see that um again the it probably wasn't the genesis because again i imagine it's an idea that probably came from radio plays when you couldn't see the characters so you needed some kind of symbol that a character was arriving so that's probably where they established right let's use yeah, like a piece of music to identify a character. But watching how they did that in film, it was it was it was interesting to see. It was some of the accompanying music was pretty terrible. There was one kind of almost it just didn't fit this kind of almost romanticy type music, mm. and they were playing over a lot of the the espionage type scenes, <laughs> and it just didn't quite work. Oh yeah, I noticed that. Um, but, there was a particular piece they kept they kept repeating. Sorry, Steve. Yeah, exactly. Um, on a kind of adjacent to music, the sort of foley artistry, the sound effects, if you like, where, again, one of the few things I think the film did, and we'll get to the action scenes and stuff like that, but the sort of sound effects and fight scenes and the, the actual sort of various noises and stuff like that, again, that they sounded like they'd been done pretty well. And I imagine there will be, around that time, because of, you know, broadcasting had been going for a while, there will have been experts in that field, and it, it sounded pretty sort of, competent it had been done actually quite well the only thing i would add to that is that i mostly agree the only thing i would add is there wasn't much variety in the punch so essentially every punch <laughs> sounded the exact same like yes this one, this one whack they thought right we've got it <laughs> you know it just you get and then obviously there's so many punches in each of the fights it's poof, poof. <laughs> it's like, yeah yeah wow the, 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 right we've, we've we've nailed this let's just use this one yeah <laughs> 
Yeah, let's. Um, unless you've got anything to add on the music, Gordon, is there? No, yeah, I was just going to say, say it was it was quite orchestral, and I mean sometimes the music worked well in terms of a scene with uh, a lot of mystery or peril. I think it, 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 it felt like it was the right sort of music at the right time. But then there was one particular piece that kept repeating. It's hard to explain. It's kind of like this. Uh, Batman pale music, but then it suddenly then changes to this sort of like eyes romantic sound. It's it's like a sort of early morning themes like da 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 da. But it was playing that in the middle of fight scenes and stuff by the end of the film, so it didn't really work. So the, yeah, there was a lot of repetition. But the thing to remember, I, I'm kind of answering my own question here. But when I say about there been a lot of repetition in this film, you got to remember it's kind of made as individual episodes. So if you watch um, most kind of series of anything, there there's tropes that keep coming out of repetition from episode to episode so it was kind of made yeah. as episodes if, if that makes sense rather than one thing right through so you, i suppose you can give it that but yeah there, in those days i mean producing music for films obviously would be an expensive business you probably have also things like how could you get the right people together during the middle of a war uh, you know so they probably did quite well what they had absolutely yeah how, you know the cinematography how the film looked do you feel it had a you know a, a style to that worked obviously for its time steve i know you're kind of want to pick up on yeah that. it's it's actually one of the things i think they did quite well one of the obviously when you're limited to black and white photography or cinematography in this case what you need to be able to do is work with light and shadows mm-hmm. and it's one of the few things i think they actually i wouldn't say nailed because there were a lot of scenes that I could just be the quality i was watching on that came across quite dark but there were a few scenes where I think there was one where Batman and Robin were escaping out a building and they obviously kind of walked into what was kind of, I can't remember if it was a lamppost or whether it was actual moonlight or something like that. But the way that they played with the lighting and shadows, I think they did, that's one thing they could do really well at that time. Yeah. And, you know, something I don't think it's probably harder to replicate now that we have color film. You don't need to balance, Mm -hmm. because obviously it was important to balance the light and the dark to make sure that the people watching the film in the cinema could physically see what was going on it was a lot more difficult yeah and that is an artistry that i really respect yeah yeah and i think they actually did it definitely in parts of the film by other parts it looked fantastic there was the i think they almost have to have a, a scene where someone's tied up and about to get run over by a train it's one of those sort of <laughs> yeah. early yeah. early film tropes um but again i thought you know that that kind of stuff looked really good mm-hmm. um and as, as I think sort of Gordon mentioned, some of the, the driving scenes actually felt pretty pacey and looked good um, and could have come from something in the sort of 60s or 70s after years of these films having been made. So, but yeah, they, the, 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 I suppose the point I wanted to make was the the way that they controlled sort of dark and lights and the, the light and the shadows and stuff like that was particularly effective. And special effects, there was one point where Batman effectively set off his own smoke machine but they thought there was a fire burning downstairs in one of the buildings or whatever. Yeah. And it, it looked like he just set off that smoke machine so that he could jump out from it. <laughs> <laughs> I thought, uh, you know what? Brilliant on you go. Element of surprise. He cares there was, so there much was some special his... effects in there. Yeah. yeah. About his entrance. Yeah. Uh... <laughs> He's planned it in advance. You always wonder how all these football fans get their smoke bombs. I think Batman's must supply them to the <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah. Uh, there was one point I thought looked quite striking that was I could see how it has been done later on in the comics and the cartoons and the films where it was Batman on the roof as the villains look up and it's kind of the way it was lit, kind of silhouette and then jumping down. I, I thought that was quite, you know, that was quite uh, interesting and stood out in amongst it despite because you couldn't see the silliness of his costume the way it was lit it just you know actually it was the sort of silhouette with the 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 cape and stuff like that and it actually looked pretty cool considering how stupid that costume is that usually uh, undermines anything you try and do that's interesting with it is anything on that gordon you've wanted to add or yeah, I mean, I mean, I agree with what Steve McCall said about the special effects. I thought they seemed very good for their time. If you look at the explosions, there was actually quite a few explosions, and that's not an easy thing to do. So that that worked quite well. The, I mean, it had quite... And you can't hold this against the film too much because you even saw a lot of this in the 1950s and 60s. It, it, the camera work was very 2D a lot of the time. You could, you know, obviously very clear that they're working in sets at times but there was a bit of variety with the camera work like the the driving shots for example you know there was bits of close-up there was even fades as well so for what they had they were using the best of the technology they had i suppose i would have liked to have seen more nighttime action because one of the attractions of batman to me was always that so much of it happened at night and but i suppose then there's limitations of the i mean how do you do that with 1940s technology um it just it took some of the mystery out of it there was a lot happening in daytime it seemed very run-of-the-mill yeah coupled with the fact it's a kind of la version of batman it just doesn't fit with what i know of batman it didn't feel right like that's i would say i fully agree with you for me batman is well the best versions of batman are nighttime stuff well batman mostly works nighttime because the whole point is that the police can deal with the daytime criminals batman's there to serve the nighttime stuff and um and so yeah it's then weird when you're seeing this kind of other version that didn't quite fit with what i'm used to but um i fully agree there so just generally on the the plot i guess as well as this general obviously we'll talk about the structure of the of the show or episodes or the film whatever you want to call this the plot was obviously ridiculous but i guess we're talking about a character that is a comic book character and therefore you don't apply the same amount of like reality to it i guess what did you think about that gordon obviously we've got people being turned into essentially zombies and we've got you know all that kind of stuff like uh how, how did you find it i found it difficult to follow a lot of the time and i think i don't think that's so much because it's complicated i think it's just there's not there's not enough there for me to get really immersed in the film it's it's easy to to tune out of it yeah. um, especially if you're trying to watch more than ep- one episode in sequence yeah it just, it just because of the way it is a lot of it felt inconsequential really that you could actually maybe miss a couple of of those episodes because in the end it's not going to advance too much all it is is some other piece of information or some other scheme that the villain's trying to do was then leaked to batman they go to the warehouse or whatever and the fight ensues and then they think they've been the villain thinks they've been killed turns out they didn't and then it all starts again. Each episode kind of had this repetitive nature to it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. that's what I found. Um, it was very repetitive, especially the stuff in, involving DACA. And uh, I just feel for as much as I said, sometimes I didn't know what was going on. It was it was just the, the plot was poorly written. It, it was very simplistic. It's like the villain 
at least the, even in like Batman and Robin, for example, you can at least see there's a mo- there's a you can at least understand the motivation of the villain to some degree. There, there's at least a motivation there, but it's, like Doctor Dacca, it's like um, I just want to do this just to be evil and to be just because it's a Mister Nasty. Like it's like yeah. there's no real there's or I don't know if they're trying to portray like I'm doing it because I'm Japanese and they're American. There's no real. It's like I'm just looking at it and thinking like, where's his motivation? It's like you can tell he's enjoying it. He's clearly enjoy enjoying being evil and nasty. But why? What's the reason for it? We know why the Joker mm-hmm. was motivated well, was just, to more, more chaos. I think the Joker just wanted chaos. But I think with Daka, I suspect being this, it was a Japanese agent. I suspect it was more just to disrupt american like this is me reading into it i don't know how much they didn't really go into as as obviously you said but was it maybe just to disrupt american disrupt what's going on at home in america as as a way to maybe help the japanese in the war effort a sort of thing like but yeah i don't know (laughs) it just didn't seem very well written uh it was like i suppose it was kind of did want to cause chaos um and as for his people had working for him i mean that's another way i feel it was so simplistic it's like even just the use of the word zombies because he gets them to he like kind of barks instructions to them through like a headset it's like god knows how he's the technology to do that but anyway Uh, so these (laughs) and and these people just kind of walk very slowly but they actually seem it's like what's the point in them they're they're actually they're good at following instructions, but they're not really good at anything else. They don't seem to want to fight anyone. Like when, you'll see at the end when Batman and Robin get into the lair, that they're not even trying to stop them. They're just standing there waiting <laughs> for the next instructions. <laughs> and it's like it's also the creation. It's like how the hell does he have the technology? Just I don't know what he's doing. Like pumping some sort of electricity into somebody's brain, it it suddenly makes them in an instant become under his control, and and then they then hear instructions from him through a headset. It's like it's it's kind of it, oh, I was I'm gonna say die another day. It's like it's like that is that style of writing. Uh, like when we talk about just total absolute ridiculous implausibility it's like how does him putting that electricity through people suddenly make them do what he wants without giving them permanent brain damage or something <laughs> and it's like and then linda page right so happens to her it's like how is she gonna get out and he's able to just revert i'll oh, just press that switch that, that reverses and she'll go back completely back to normal again yeah oh it's just that just that part i just that whole thing i just found utter nonsense yeah steve <laughs> utter nonsense is absolutely the right way of putting it i can only assume that the zombie thing was part of the war propaganda almost and it was the idea they were going for is that oh the the japanese will brainwash you so you need to stay clear of of them for for that reason yeah um i mean i don't know if it was the fact that it was obviously as we've mentioned it was broadcast originally in 25 minute episodes and we watched them all at once because it was it was it was simple enough to follow the, the various plots. I'm not going to say plot because there were so many different plots. Yes, yes, that's a good but, way of putting it. Um, they were, so they were simple to follow. There were no confusing B plots or anything like that. It just had absolutely no structure. So the, the only sort of running theme was obviously Dhaka and the zombified people. But, you know, you start off where they were, they were after a ray gun 
and then they were going down a mine, and then they were <laughs> taking down gangsters. So it was, and I can see again how these would be sort of separate episodes. It's, yeah, it's like an episode of a one. season arc. It's almost like you've watched this full season one of Batman, but it happened to be called a film and was released in cinemas, each part. Exactly. I suppose it's the equivalent of sitting and binging a series on Netflix, but a series on Netflix, I suppose, are at least now... They, they follow on from each other far better than these episodes did because it, it didn't feel like they were going... It seems like plots, things would happen and then they'd be completely forgotten about. No one cared about this gun or radium. Was it radium or radium? Yeah. The, the chemical they were after? I think he called it a radium gun. Yeah. Yeah. Because um, that's what they're trying to steal from the train and then they were down this mine and then it was all about taking on gangsters at a speakeasy. And it was... So yeah, it just kind of didn't really... It was all over the place, yeah. Basically, um, and the various plots were interesting enough at the time, but the fact that they were forgotten, and it seemed like things happened, and then there was there was one point where it looked like Bruce Wayne was in a catastrophic accident in a taxi where it had been run off the road and it had crashed, and then the next scene he was up and walking and going, "Oh well, I'm glad they they fixed me oh, up the, after that whole accident," the, okay. and I was kind of going, "Hang on a sec, he was what?" I, there's a huge chunk of time missing there, surely, where he's had to recuperate from what was a very <laughs> serious accident in which he will have broken a great number of bones. Yeah. And he's now just he, sur- he survived a plane crash, which the other people died, and he sort yes. of just kind of like shrugged it off kind of thing. Like it's... Yeah, he just got out and hid behind a tree. And it was... The way they, they shot it, I mean, I guess that was why the intention was show him nearly about to die. So everyone's like, how is he? That was the whole point, I think. You know, it's been parodied in so many things down the, down the line. Those kind of things where a character looks like they're going to die, and then it comes up like blurred thing with the text: "How will Batman survive?" And it's like, come back and watch. You you know, you got to come back now next week and watch. Like, and it shows you the whole sequence again, and then it gets to, and then it's like what looked like the thing is about to crush him in, in the end of whatever and then the next time you see it they've got a lot more space or something or there's some cheat almost for him to get out it's like ah oh, come on uh, yeah I thought I, I thought you were about to say about the I thought this was ridiculous at the end um, Dr. Daka throws I think he throws Batman into a pit or somewhere there's the a bit of Star Wars coming in here, the the walls very, very slowly close in on them with huge metal spikes, and then he stops them with a crowbar. Yeah. <laughs> How's that? How would that stop these huge walls cut yeah. like closing? Honestly, that must be one strong crowbar. <laughs> I just, when, you, when you mentioned that, I for, totally forgot about the radium gun. It's like Doctor Daka alone, but this is before Batman even gets it. If he's firing this radium gun, which he admits himself is radioactive, how's he not getting some kind of serious damage from it? How's Batman able to just pick it up and like explodes in a small room, but everyone gets out okay? It's probably it's... untested as well. Probably, I imagine. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's comic book silliness, I guess, at this point, and you can I just have to suspend disbelief at all points really but uh yeah it was it, it was interesting to see because we're talking about like fight scenes i just thought this was like probably the most amusing bit of the film um it was so it's in probably the first half um batman he's having yet another fist fight with with these villains i think robin's involved and it's like the top of a very tall building anyway and um like on the roof and he gets knocked off and he it looks like he's falling 
story oh, after story. I know. And then he just, I think he somehow lands on a balcony, gets up, and it seems like it's within a few seconds, he's back at the top of the roof and he's just back fighting. <laughs> Nothing's happened at all. I just I just had to mention that because I, I thought it was hilarious, just the ease and the quickness he was able to get up from like 10 stories down and yeah. start kicking people's asses again. Um, I would say as well, like, it's, although I, I quite like the way, like, when he would deliver people to the police, he would, like, plaster the wee bat sticker on their head. Like, that was kind of a nice touch, I thought. Um, just remember that. Um, but, oh, yeah, and do you remember his coffin escape as well? I meant, I meant to mention that. Uh-huh. Yeah. It was like, they call it a box. It's like, he got locked in a coffin. It's like the villains didn't even think to search him before they put him in there. Of course, he has like a wee Morse code device to get in touch with Robin so Robin can come in and save him. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's It was interesting seeing some of the gadgets they had. Obviously, very all were usually somehow found an exact use, like the way that Bond gadgets do. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Which I think is one of the things that then kind of got parodied down the line. The fact that Batman always seems to have a gadget to get him out of mm. everything. And mm. it's his patented Batman radio. Batman. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. yeah. Probably got, the Batman yeah. 60s TV show was famous for that. Like they had, and that's a comedy. Like it was like, you know, we've got to spray. Uh, the famous one was, was it spray this, this bat, the shark with the Batman spray or whatever, as I can't remember. Like uh, it's just... <laughs> And it explodes them and all this kind of stuff. Like it's nonsense. Like there was always the bat thing. Um, yeah, yeah. It's... Talking of which, we should probably pay tribute to the first sighting of the Bat Cave or the Bats Cave, as I think it was called. But yeah. First sighting of Batman's lair as well. But talks about the villain's lair. Um, it was interesting to see the <laughs> bats on strings, sort of just swinging about. <laughs> um, but they, they again playing with lighting and shadows. The way they had a a bat in front of a lamp obviously to project a looking like a, a bat a massive bat flying around the room i thought it looked quite creepy i thought that was again for 1943 technology what they had to hand was relatively well done as scant as it was yeah and the grandfather clock entrance for you know coming out of the, the bat came into the wayne manor was again that was something this film sort of started that introduced that idea which again has been taken on through all the other you know batman lore in general yeah I, I liked that yeah i thought that was quite i liked it so yeah i like the entrance to the bat cave as well as the the villains lair um the one other last thing i was gonna say and this goes again back to the linda page um and her like misunderstanding of batman and bruce wayne being not being you know being the same character um i don't know if you remember i think they have to save her at some point no, they no, they they need to go in to investigate some to find her uncle, and she's like, they're like, Linda, just Linda, just wait in this house while we go away. It's like, well, first of all, it's like, they it doesn't even occur to them that there might be a, a danger leaving her on her own. But anyway, like they go away, and then she, I think they they meet her with her full just normal suits on, like Bruce Wayne and Dick uh, later on, and. I think they say what's happened. She's like, oh, the Batman saved save me and all that. And she's like, what happened to you guys? And they're like, oh, he's like, we were just walking along the road and decided to have a little nap at the side of the road. And it's like, <laughs> <laughs> she's, she's just like, okay. <laughs> that just that made me laugh. I know. Yeah, yeah. yeah we're, just, we're just having a walk and we decided to sit, in a, <laughs> sit a down of a nap. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. It was like when they, they took Robin to the amusement arcade and stood her up. 
that as an excuse just seemed really kind of oh yeah I, oh we didn't come out last night because I, I took Robin to the arcade and he had so much fun yeah and that makes more sense now that I realised that it, there was a kind of father son type relationship there but it was a, it was another one of those points where I went what is this relationship yeah I mean it's been parodied and people would question obviously the the weirdness of it the 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 Robert, uh, Robin and Batman kind of friendship because obviously people sometimes looked at it as a kind of I think in, I don't know if it, later on, but obviously as a kind of gay type thing. But obviously, it, it just, someone's uh, always going to make that connection. Yeah. Um. Okay. So I think we'll come to the rating. Steve, what would you give this film? I think it's a solid one out of five for me. It had wow. moments. It had. So I mean, I think I'm going from a position of zero being my absolute like it would be awful, terrible, right at the bottom. This had elements where, like I said, there was points where the lighting was quite good. There's the fact that it's as a historical document, if you like, it's interesting to see how films were being made back in the 1940s when they were starting to work out how to make films. And obviously, the war propaganda element adds an extra kind of really interesting um, angle to it. But it was it was long, and it was dull, and it, it wasn't particularly enjoyable to sit. If I have to sit and force my way through it, yeah. it's not going to be a particularly high rating. Yeah. It just <clears throat> there's not a great deal to to like about it. So it's it's a high one, maybe a one and a half. <laughs> okay, um, it's very but generous. It's it's, it's pretty, that's about as generous as I'm going to get. I think. Fair enough. That's the first thing I saw. I was just going to say, like we've, we've we've talked about low fours or high threes a lot. We've never had, <laughs> had a high <laughs> one. <laughs> Gordon, generous. Come to you. Yeah, well, so I wondered if we would even have a rating because it's so hard to rate a film from the 1940s, man. I. Uh, yeah, I think if I have to, like, you need to cut it certain slack because it was essentially a series, and if the points I'm making about it have been repetitive, you can cut it slack from that. Mm-hmm. So, like, so I think I'm going to go give it a two, uh, just because, um, like, for the time, the limitations of technology, the fact that we're bringing Batman on the big screen, it, it gave people a bit of excitement during the war, um, it, um, you know, morale boosting that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And there, there hadn't been had there been many films at all of this you know sort of adventure action adventure genre i'm not i'm not sure there was so you got to you know was pioneering certain ways um so as much as i did find it you know very dull <laughs> and hard to focus on um i'm still you know trying to give it a bit of credit for that i would also mention the you know good special effects for the time um and obviously there was there was you know the odd scene of tension, like um, the <laughs> the train on the bridge where Batman makes an arrow escape. There was a bit of tension there. You got to give it that, even with the the room with the the spikes on the walls. You know there, there's tension there. I suppose you, but you just know he's going to get out of it. Uh, so you know that that's okay. But yeah, um, the film was so repetitive, and there's pretty much no mystery as well i would i would say as well um it's right to it at the beginning like the whole thing this is batman first scene um you know the plan for the villains very simplistic um yeah i've already mentioned the other stuff um it was hard to get through but yeah you've got to give credit where credit's due yeah in certain things i'm pretty much agreeing with you i mean i agree with you both on your points uh i would go for a two as well in the sense that i can give it a little um credit to the things that i can see were pioneering as you say gordon and you know there was moments where i I was enjoying just 
I guess watching something so old, it was just that experience alone that I actually got a little enjoyment from. That wouldn't say four hours worth of enjoyment out of that. Um, it was an episode or two where it was just nice and novel to to. So my experience is kind of is 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 elevated that a little. Um, you know, obviously if it was a if a modern film was like that now, that would be an absolute for me train wreck one. But um, I would give it's a two for that, and it was an interesting take and in seeing things that would become part of the lore of batman going forward it is only four years since the actual character was created in the comics so it was really interesting just for me just seeing what was the mass audience getting what was the experience like seeing this character visual on screen um from just the inception only a few years ago and obviously with the this kind of um the version being a propaganda piece for, and during the war you know uh, obviously it changes uh, really but in the end um i didn't enjoy the actual viewing overall it is not something i would ever recommend a two is obviously not a recommendable film free i could say you could get a qualified recommendation i wouldn't give that qualification here the qualification only could be if you're doing a podcast and you have to watch all of the films then <laughs> then you watch this film um so that's not a lot of people uh, so yeah, it's a it's a two for me on that. So I think where this film really, sorry, Steve, really come into its own is when we look at the later Batman films and like look how it compares and think, well, this was the genesis for this uh, to happen. Yeah, uh, yeah, it now gives a wee bit more context to which I thought was going to be the start when I first thought up the idea of doing this project of watching the sixties Batman, the sixty six film, um, because I just assumed that was the first one until I looked online and seen, oh, the ones from the forties exist um so that gives a wee bit of context as to then what they were doing with that version of the character and the kind of comedy taking what this did before and, and making it just purely comedic um so i'm intrigued to see the kind of evolution of the character on screen now and yeah well first of all we've got another 40s one to go so yeah that'll be fun guys uh all right, we've obviously uh, covered this film. There's not much more to say. Two two stars and one one star. It's a pretty low start for the Batman project. I am pretty certain it is going to get better. And how long is the second film? You any idea? Uh, it's I long. presume it's like a, I, think, I think it's a series again, isn't it? I think it's like another half hour longer. I think it's like four and a half hours. <laughs> <laughs> yep uh, i'll see you in like six yeah. months when we've got through all. <laughs> yeah. okay guys thank you for joining me we'll obviously hopefully have a name for this at some point soon but until then we'll see you next time take care bye-bye